This episode is brought to you by Portland Distro. If you like underground music, movies, and more, go to portlanddistro.com for licensed merch, vinyl, CDs, and more. Plug in the discount code 10OFF, T-E-N-O-F-F, for a 10% discount at portlanddistro.com. Good day, everybody. It's time for another episode of the Everything Went Black podcast. This week, we have the Holy Circle. Once again, they return to talk about their forthcoming album as well as discuss the additions to the band. It's always fun talking to those guys. I find their music very, very interesting and compelling, and I'm a huge fan. And specifically, I'm a huge fan of uh, Terrence Hannum's work. Uh, he also plays in Locrian and um, really, really cool, interesting musician. Before we get going, I want to give shout-outs to my podcasting Apocalypse Brethren. Of course, on Monday, I'm talking about the Horror Wolf 666 podcast, hosted by Brandon Legion. Tuesday is Into the Necrosphere, hosted by Jackie Smith, and that deals with all things extreme metal, literally the only music podcast I listen to. Wednesday is Everything Went Black. Thursday, we have Necromaniacs, Necro Thursday, co-hosted by myself, Mike Scandato, and Jeff Kashid. Rounding things out on Sunday, we have Soul Knox, hosted by Carl Hikara. And if you like the show and you want to support in another way than just listening, you can join the Everything Went Black podcast for as little as $1 a month. You get access to all bonus material. For $5 a month, you get the bonus material plus early access to the normal stream episodes. And for $20 a month, that is the sponsor level. If you have a project, a band, a business, or anything that you want to promote on the show, I will give you an ad read once a month custom ad read. You send me the copy and I read it at the beginning of the episode along with the Portland Distro ad. And now without further delay, on to our episode. Thank you. And uh, so I want to say, uh, Terrence, you've been very busy this year at the Locker Inn record and also uh, the Holy Circle record. I have been. <laughs> but it's it's been um we actually started the holy circle record oh nathan's with us awesome. oh hey awesome. we got we got another person awesome wonderful um but we started the holy circle record before the locrian record so um uh it's been a, a while uh and as we were joking coming into this uh of the, the pandemic stuff it really started during the pandemic with demoing and um you know getting down these tracks and stuff so yeah it's been a long time but i'm glad it's done so let's uh let's back up for a second then because the first time that we spoke about holy circle it was basically just you and erica right in the beginning yeah for a short period and then nathan joined on drums on the first um demo Okay, because well, I, I detect, it wasn't the demo. Yeah, yeah. I, de I detect live drums on this new recording, so let's. But maybe, <laughs> yeah, maybe just take us through the whole 
uh, evolution because I started listening to you guys when it was just the two of you. And um, so maybe break down the timeline of how everyone joined the band and just so I, you know, we can all get a feel for what's going on with the band. Sure. Um, well, uh, we had the idea to do this while we were recording. I was laying down vocals for Locrian. That's right. Right. Yep. I don't know what year, for, what year was that 2016 for infinite dissolution. Yeah. Or 2015. Yeah. Um, so we had the idea. We just didn't really know exactly what we wanted to do. So, uh, uh, we, you know, we always, we kind of <laughs> threw out a lot of references that didn't go together, like Portis head. And, uh, we talked about the knife and, um, but we really like, we really like shoegaze <laughs> and just a lot of things that, you know, we were excited about, but didn't necessarily go together. But, um, uh, we just kind of started writing some tracks. Terrence had, um, Terrence had some, some riffs and then I would kind of like hum along and then we would start to, I would start to write lyrics. Um, which was also different because our old band, Unlucky Atlas, Terrence and I um, shared the lyric writing. Um, so that was different too. And Terrence obviously writes all the lyrics for Locrian. Um, but I kind of wanted to do something where I had a little bit more like ownership, you know, of the songwriting and, um, so anyway, uh, I guess Nathan, we recorded. Well, I played them for Nathan. I played the Basil, right? Yeah, yeah. And then that's when you, we started talking to you about doing drums. So the demo was kind of like half done, our, our early demo, sort of half done. And then uh, Nathan kind of came on board and you recorded some drum tracks, I think, like after, after the fact with. Or at our house, I think. I don't remember. I don't remember correctly. It's all a, <laughs> a blur now. But, um, and then a lot of those tracks on that early demo became tracks on our first full release, um, also self-titled, um, The Sun, The Sun, uh, cover sure cover yeah. versus the mandala cover but um yeah i i don't know we still didn't really exactly quite have a grasp on what we wanted to do with holy circle i think we just knew it was going to be different from what we did with locrian and it was going to be different from what we did in the early days with unlucky atlas which was doom folk <laughs> um you know we were living in chicago at the time and you know there's like a big freak folk uh movement happening and uh uh matt like matt all these bands from madison wisconsin <laughs> were coming to chicago and then we were going to chicago to play shows and it was just kind of like you know, it was, it was an interesting time to make music in the early 2000s. Um, we were sort of like, we had a lot of like rules and parameters around, you know, that band was like only acoustic instruments. And like, I play, 
I played an auto harp that took like an hour to tune before a show. And I played a mandolin uh, or like a dulcimer, not a mandolin, a dulcimer for, you know, a few songs. And it was just like really restrictive and limiting. It sounded cool. Like when I listen back to some of it, I'm like, there were some good ideas there, but I don't know. (laughs) We just, I don't know. We just like, we're really rigid, but that's how we met Andre. Um, and how Locrian came about because Andre um, joined Unlucky yeah. Atlas. But anyway, so I'm Nathan, going way too far back. <laughs> so Nathan, Nathan joined playing drums and he's on the LP. Um, and then at the time, Nathan was in New York City and we were here in Baltimore. And then um, Nathan moved to Los Angeles um, and we missed him very much. And, um, and we, and we had met Rob because Rob played in this great uh, noise rock band called Birth Effects. And we really loved his playing um, and uh, became friends with him. And it just started to feel like a really good fit. Um, I was switching more to guitar and Erica was taking over more of the synths. Um, so we kind of like really focused more around a drum machine than live drums because we didn't really we didn't have our favorite drummer uh, in the vicinity at the moment. Um, we are in survival mode. <laughs> but you know, so we it figured works. some stuff it out. You saw us when we we did that. We had the, uh, there's a trio. Well, yeah. that that's what I was going to get at is when I saw you guys in Brooklyn. <laughs> there was no drums, drum machine. Rob was playing with you guys, yeah. and it was the two of you, and it, it didn't. It was like awesome you know i mean i uh i went specifically to see yeah. you guys too and i thought yeah you know you, you'd sent me the music you were sharing the music with me over the last like few months and um yeah. it didn't feel like anything was lacking however visualizing it with live drums is i would i would still love to see that live at some point we would too <laughs> now has that been in, in the in the performance realm have you guys performed with with Nathan on drums? We performed with Nathan on drums uh, before Rob joined. Before, <laughs> before Nathan moved to LA, and then, and then uh, this all really was a COVID yeah situation where we were kind of like, who cares? Like, forget live. And Nathan really liked the songs, and we love Nathan's drumming, and we thought it would add a lot to it. Um, and it was just like, let's just make the best record we can make. And um, we were sending Nathan the stuff we were putting down and he was coming up with ideas and we kind of recorded it in a interesting way, but it really worked out in the end. And I kind of can't believe it sometimes how Nathan, most of the tracking was done and Nathan came in and did drums and, and on top of the tracking, which is a, yeah. I don't, I've never done that before, but it doesn't <laughs> sound like it at all. So it's wonderful. Yeah, it was really actually a really dumb way to put a record together, but somehow we figured it out. It was like, like, yeah, it was really backward. But I mean, I also think that the way that this record came together and how long it took and how, how hard it was compared to our other releases is also very telling of the time in which we were making it, you know, it was just like the perseverance that it required to like get it done because it was so hard to it was so hard to collaborate and work on it um at a distance from each other at first and then when it was finally you know at least with 
the two of us and Rob, when we finally felt comfortable enough to like share a practice space with masks on. And then finally we were comfortable enough to like, just like hang out and talk about the music and, you know, and, and then, you know, when Nathan, um, joined us with some ideas, it was like, okay, this is, it's possible yeah. that this can happen. But I mean, we started writing some of these songs we started writing in 2019. Like I remember, I remember playing <laughs> one of the tracks in particular at, at Hunfest. And then, mm -hmm. um, it was the first time we played it. And, so um, that, that was 2019. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, and then I think maybe we wrote one or two more before, before lockdown in March of 2020. So it's been a long time. It's been a long time coming, but, yeah. um, we, we, we did it. <laughs> it's done. Well, what I found interesting is, um, I think I actually texted you this, uh, Terrence was like, I think I asked you this question at one point where I was like, is the Holy circle, a minimalist electronics band? Cause like my trip listening to the band was like, you know, divorced from all of this other participants in the music is that yeah. it seemed very minimal to me. You know, there's like a drum beat. There's at times very sparse synths and vocals. Okay. But now with you <laughs> share, you shared, you know, thank you for sharing the new album. It really has exploded into an actual like rock band. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. And, and um, I just want to, I want to talk to Rob and Nathan about that because yeah, um, you should definitely talk to Rob. Yeah, about that. You know, like, <laughs> it's definitely you know, Rob doing. It's Rob's fault. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Cause I mean, I've seen you guys perform with Rob. I've, I've yet to see you guys perform with Nathan. So that adds a whole other dimension to the, to the band. So I know you Terrence, I know Erica, I know you fairly well. I know kind of where you guys are coming from musically, but Rob and, and Nathan, I like to know where they're coming from, how they entered into this whole thing and what they, they've brought to the table and maybe what some of their influences are that they're contributing to the music. So which one of you guys wants to start? Rob, maybe, you know, you're, you're sure. unmuted, so. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll start. Um, so I, I mostly just played in punk bands, like, like straight street punk, like, uh, UK 82 stuff. And I was, when Erica asked me to join the band, I was, um, a little surprised at first we'd started hanging out. I was drunk to be fair. Yeah. She was. <laughs> <laughs> it's a true story. We had, I, my, my other band birth effects had played with, um, Holy circle at a show. And of course we showed up, uh, I showed up early because I show up early to everything and so did Terrence and Erica so we're all just standing around and they're like hey I've seen you around shows before oh yeah I've seen your shows don't you have a couple of kids oh yeah I've got two kids too so we're talking like just just chit-chatting and at the end of the show they're like we should hang out sometimes like, all right cool we should hang out sometimes so they invited me over um, to like a Halloween thing they were doing uh, and we got to talking and I was like well you should come over to my place came over we're hanging out and Terrence seemed to be asking like Birth of X was coming to an end, like it was unraveling quickly. Uh, and Terrence was like, seemed to be asking about doing a post-punk thing. And Erica was like, no, you should be in the holy circle. 
<laughs> I was like, I thought about it for a minute and I was like, well, I've never done anything like that. So why don't I give it a try? Um, so the first practices were interesting because like I felt fish out of water. Um, I couldn't rely on like just playing really fast and loud because none of the songs were that. Um, this was just, I'd only heard that first record. And a quick aside, I actually was at the recording session <laughs> briefly for that record. That's yeah. true. Um, Sean, uh, Sean Gray and I, who was also in Birth Effects, um, I forget if we had just played a show or we had just recorded or something. I can't remember what it was. And we were in town. He was like, let's swing by Magpie. I want to see my friends. Um, they're recording. And so we walked in and like listened to them record at uh, J Studio for a little bit. And then we went out with Nathan to Brewer's Art. Um, and I got to meet Nathan for the first time then. So that's the quick aside. <clears throat> but so I, the first practices were interesting. And like I was keeping it all quiet because I wasn't sure what my place would be in the band yet. Um, they wanted to add my guitar. So I think it was like Free and Young, I think was the track. And I'm playing it and I'm playing it. And I'm like, I'm really into loud, quiet, like Nirvana, Pixies stuff um, that goes all the way back to when I was, you know, a tween. <laughs> and <laughs> we're playing the song and I was like, what if I just kick on all my fuzz pedals and let's just see how it sounds. And that's kind of, I think where it started, like kicked on the fuzz pedals. I thought it sounded great. Um, both Terrence and Erica were like, yeah, this is different. Let's give it a try. So that's Sick With Love EP that um, they had written four of the songs already and I had to add parts to it. So I was like, well, how can I enhance these songs without just like, you know, playing bass notes or whatever. And it was to add guitar texture, um, a lot of fuzzes. Uh, I collected a lot of reverb pedals <laughs> in the beginning to find one that would fit, delay pedals. Um, a lot of effects uh and yeah so it's like I feel like I'm I made them louder I made them a lot louder than they otherwise would have been um and uh, you know I think it's moved us more into that shoegaze direction that was like they were already kind of there like the slow dive shoegaze yeah. but bring in like the my bloody valentine <laughs> here kind of shoegaze just sometimes yeah. it's good to have like a little variety in uh in the songs so yeah. now, how, how much did you have to modify your playing though like like from your like when you first joined the band like was it a big transition for you um you know like what was that like yeah so mostly like i just played chords it was all power chords a lot of like weird heavy chords um weird tunings and that wasn't gonna fit with a lot like the sick with love ep that just wasn't gonna uh, work so I transitioned to writing a lot of melodies, which I hadn't really done before. And I feel like I've become a stronger guitar player as a result from having to do this, um, you know, sticking to melodies, finding complementary parts that would harmonize with what Terrence and Erica had already written instead of just following along like you would do in a punk band. So I feel like it's definitely expanded my vocabulary. Um, and it's given me excuse to try a lot of effects panels that I probably wouldn't have tried. Um, you know, it's like with birds effects, it was it was a couple of rap pedals and a chorus, and like that was it. And now I've got, I don't know, too many pedals. So you kind of went from like this uh, Bob Mould, like Husker Du kind of like sound, I guess, to like a, a more like 
Kevin Shields kind of thing, maybe. Yeah, yeah, it's very high gain, a lot of intentional feedback and like uncontrolled, just like just wild shit. And I had to re- I had to reel it in. I can't just be like feedbacking uncontrollably while Erica's trying to sing a part and nobody <laughs> will hear what she's saying. So I was like, I have to I have to rein it in a little bit, but I still wanted it to have like a bite underneath. I didn't want it to sound tame. So there, there's your Kevin Shields. Yeah. So, but you you guys uh, when you know when Rob joined the band, like you were still open. Like, did you have a very specific idea of what the guitars were supposed to be doing, or was it more of a collaborative, evolutionary kind of thing that went on? You know, I think I started with an idea, and then Rob and I started to have a lot more conversations about bands with two guitar players and. How do you complement one another? And so I use no distortion on my pedal. Mine's all delays and reverbs, and I use multiple reverbs. I I have more reverbs than distortion. So like it's it's kind of like where Rob goes heavy. I'm normally doing something high, or I'm like accenting it with something that's very atmospheric. Um, so with him, with Rob and me, it became, I think for me, like I hadn't play, I don't play guitar in Locri and hadn't played guitar in a band and until the Holy Circle, like, um, yeah, since Unlucky Alice and that was an acoustic 12 string. Like it was like, I mean, you know, like not like this. And I think it kind of got back to like that chameleons or Comsat angels or those post-punk bands where it's like two guitars are doing complex things and they're really it's like they're really doing stuff that's interesting or the sound or something like that, where you have like all these interesting guitars doing interesting things or like slow die where there's three guitars, but you can hear each part, like what something might be more atmospheric, something might be like a melody, something more like a harmony. And I think that that, you know, or even like hum or something like that, where it's like something's huge and heavy and then something's light and airy and you have these nice two paths that are working together and there's for me that that's it wasn't intentional i didn't i think i had an idea but i really didn't know i just i and then when i think rob was right when when we were writing free and young and he hit on those fuzz pedals it was like oh this is the sound this is kind of like what we're shooting for where it's has an impact it's big um we definitely had a conversation uh around the time that we asked rob to join where we were talking about we'd like to incorporate more elements of shoegaze and like some heavier post-punk kind of you know elements into this song writing um but rob kind of um i think it was already us, there like, with the synths but you know yeah. like well yeah and yeah. i and too um with terrence um stepping away from playing the sense exclusively and he still does play some synth parts on the last two recordings we've done. It's just live. I tend to be the only one playing synths and I'm not nearly as confident of a synth player as Terrence is and not nearly as talented as he is. So for me, having another, for me, having (laughs) another uh, instrument made me feel like more comfortable to, to, you know, I, you know, it, I, it, it's just sort of felt like, I could kind of like meld into the sound that we were creating instead of feeling like everybody was looking, looking to me to, um, to perform. And I could just think about, you know, 
sonically how this moment in the song should sound and the next moment and the dynamics that we were working on. So I really appreciated having another person, you know, lending to that, um, that sound that we were trying to create. So just a quick aside here, since we were talking about effects pedals, um, you might recognize this. Yeah, yeah. man. Told you to get it. Face <laughs> <laughs> Bliss. Yeah. We'll, we'll yeah, plug man. them again. Maybe we'll get you a sponsorship if we plug them enough on your podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I'm all about it, man. It's um it's, it's quite nice. a quite a bit, man. There's a lot of yeah. stuff that you can do with this thing, and it's a pretty big learning curve with it, too. So yeah, those sorry. dip switches are phenomenal. There's a tremolo in there, I'm telling you. It's intense. I just scratched the surface so far. Yeah. Enjoy. <laughs> oh, thank you. Yeah. All right. So Nathan, the biggest change from my perspective, now you gotta remember you guys are in your orbit here with the band and then I'm way out here in Pluto looking at what's going on in the inner core of the universe. You know what I mean? So I've seen you guys play once, you know, it's like, it was awesome. It was like that cool smoke machine basement, like super dark, you know, Brooklyn kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. But the biggest transition would be sequence drums versus a live drummer. Okay, so that, you know, how how is you know Nathan joining the band? What what were your influences? Where were you coming from musically before you joined the band? And how do you think you've molded the sound? Yeah, I think I knew uh, Terrence from Locrian, and uh, I think you even stayed at the house that I was living in in D.C. one night. Yeah. And, um, <laughs> and then I think, I don't know, I mean, so I'm from Chicago. I played in a lot of like post-rock bands like Chicago, uh, people from Chicago do, um, <laughs> and uh, really into like shoegaze and, and stuff like that. And when I moved out to D.C., I played uh, in various bands in D.C., and one of them was a shoegaze band called Screen Vinyl Image, and that's another band that's very um, electronic drums heavy, right? Like a lot of program drums, like think John Carpenter meets Detroit Techno, like that oh, kind okay. of vibe to it. Um, and so laying acoustic drums on electronic music is like a really interesting challenge and one that I think is really fun. And, uh, and I think I was playing maybe with Silo Halo the first time you all saw me drum, maybe yeah. in Baltimore. I think um, that's right. yeah. Maybe we played a show uh, together. Um, and, uh, and so, yeah, yeah, you all invited me to, to join the band, but it was a, a similar challenge of, okay, here's some electronic music that's really spacey and ambient. Some of it didn't even like have a beat. Right. Uh, and it was like, <laughs> we want an acoustic drummer. Uh, so I think that was, that was a really fun challenge. I'm uh, doing the first record. Um, we practiced, you know, in the practice space and put it all down. And, and I, my goal for that first record was as live and raw drums as possible on top of synths, right? On top of electronic music, which isn't really something you hear a whole lot. No, not at all, actually. I mean, it's usually, you know, one one vibe, like, you know, total synthetic stuff. You don't really see that that crossover too much. Yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting. As a live drummer, you need to still have that kind of rhythm to it because you're playing against a lot of electronic music. Um, but also there was a lot of space. Like I, that's what I really love about that first record is that it does sound like a band in a room, even though it's an electronic record, mostly it's a synth record. And there's just not too many examples of synth records that sound like, 
it just sounds like the band in a room. Uh, so I went for really raw, really live, big, you know, like Steve Albini kind of uh, drums on that first record. And uh, and then, yeah, I moved out to Los Angeles. You could probably see Los Angeles. <laughs> uh, and, uh, and so, you know, and they all they all went on and, and obviously uh, Rob joined the band and stuff was was really cool. It was, it was amazing. Uh, and they're making another record and uh, they asked me if I wanted to put drums on it. And it was really difficult because it was, it was obviously like during COVID. Um, and I have electronic drums here. So I was just laying, they would send me recordings and then I would put electronic drums on top of uh, the recordings. And that was the only way we kind of practice. And even that was like kind of hard to, it yeah. just didn't, nothing sounded the way you kind of wanted to. Uh, and then there was, it was really hard to schedule a day in the studio and like the one like weekend we could do it in the studio in Baltimore. I was like, I'll fly out for it. But I had literally the day before we recorded, I had something with work in the evening. So I literally like went from work to the airport, flew overnight uh, and I can't sleep on airplanes. So I didn't sleep, uh, landed in Baltimore in the morning, got a couple hours of sleep on in Terrence's uh, uh, Nerica's futon uh, and then we went into the studio that afternoon uh and it was that was a it was it was ambitious and it kind of worked out i think we had like half the drums recorded that day um but what was interesting was we hadn't you all didn't really know what drum parts i had in mind for every song i would have to have like at least two drum parts for every song because i didn't know what anyone was if people were going to like a drum part. So I was like, I have two completely different ideas for this song, which normally in a practice space, you would work that out, right? You would practice yeah, yeah. Yeah. and you would go, okay, this double time feels completely wrong. The half time's the way to go. But so I would have completely different ideas for the song. And so we would, I'm sitting down, the first time they're hearing the drum parts I came up with, would they be in the <laughs> control room while you know the engineer's hitting play and I'd re just record the song twice. Hey, and then we'd listen back. And I was like, hey, which, which one do you all like? Uh, and then there was some ideas and that happened in the studio for sure. Um, and there's some drum parts that probably a third of the drum parts were ones that I came up with while recording as opposed to ones I even had in mind um, before. So that was, it was just a really interesting kind of whirlwind way of doing it. I honestly, when I was getting on the plane to fly out to Baltimore to record it, I wasn't sure if it was going to work. I hadn't <laughs> played live drums since COVID started, right? Like I hadn't actually been on a live, I just had my electronic drums. Like that was like hitting the drums in the studio was the first time I hit live drums in you know a couple of years almost. And, and also they weren't even my drums, right? I'm playing a foreign drum set. So all of that, yeah, it's all that to say is like, it was all set up really weird. And, and by the end of that first day, it was obvious that it worked. Like it was obvious that it was sounding right things were working. I was surprised I was playing as on time as I was just for having no, you know, practice. Uh, and so, yeah, that was a really fun um, experience. And just like, honestly, one of the best creative experiences I've ever had was coming out of that with everything working and just being around. I mean, Rob, Erica, Terrence, and then Jay obviously recorded the record with are just, you know, some of the, like the best people you'll ever meet. Um, and so to kind of fly <laughs> in, no sleep, record a bunch of drums two days straight with a bunch of awesome people and it coming out as good as it did uh, it was just honestly one of the best creative experiences I've ever had wow it sounds uh that it potentially could have been chaos but it sounds like uh, it actually worked out pretty well <laughs> I mean it's it's 
it's funny like i just as an anecdote like i remember the like i was just with nathan we got there erica and rob i think we're dropping off kids together and then we're <laughs> heading over and and nathan um went into no twilight no dusk and it was the first one and it was just sounded huge it just was like oh these songs i've been living with in one way with nathan in the in that space and just like like i was texting rob and erica you gotta get here now this is what <laughs> I was yeah. like, like I, well I, and i remember saying to terrence and i think rob i also said this to you i was like oh my god it's just occurring to me. I hope that we like what Nathan does because I don't know how to tell him I don't like it without hurting <laughs> his feelings. I was like, I really hope. And like now that I'm hearing Nathan retell all of this, I'm like, we were insane. I can't believe that we yeah. like pulled this off. But uh -huh. I think it, I think we did. I guess we did. There's something <laughs> a little bit easier with with uh, Rob and you know, the guitars, and it's a very familiar way for me to play music, like shoegaze bands, post-rock bands, like, it wasn't as, as much of a challenge, um, though the first record, like, putting raw live drums on top of synths is a challenge, that's really difficult to pull off, uh, but this record, I felt like, was much more, like, in, in a drummer's wheelhouse, you have a wall of sound, you have synth, you have guitar, you have distortion, like, it's, you can, you really can just sort of play like you know my back that's just like in my wheelhouse um like my my favorite drummers are like you know jimmy chamberlain from the smashing pumpkin or pumpkins or simon pache from blonde redhead and uh mono and magui and all all the kind of post-rock stuff like all that stuff is it was it's a lot easier as a drummer when there's a big wall of sound to kind of jump right in and you know i know what to do in that situation uh so it was it was i wasn't feel i didn't feel like i was like walking on eggshells um to make sure every single thing was precise like you can just sort of drum <laughs> i mean i do feel like i like because i recorded the lead vocals before nathan laid down drum so i'm kind of like amazed when i listen back to it that like i sort of had some instincts that i did that the drums would sound a certain way and i definitely think that nathan kind of like followed all of our lead as far as like dynamics and intensity and I'm I'm singing the most like big full voice that I'm singing on any holy circle recording um and I and I think like we just took a lot of risks and we took a lot of chances and we kind of like went for it in a lot of ways and I do think that it it paid off and it was really rewarding in the end because you know we're we're really proud of it. I think it sounds really like full and lush. Yeah. And um, I just, I'm glad, <laughs> I'm glad it worked out because it definitely <laughs> could have been a complete chaotic disaster and um, a waste of Jay's time. And I'm glad that it wasn't. I just want to talk about the drums again, real quick. The, um, the fact that you uh, recorded, you had like, you were saying in some cases you had two different drum parts, like two different complete, you know, imaginings of the songs did you comp any of the drum tracks like did you uh like take a verse from this performance and you know edit it into a performance from you know a different performance was that done or was that ever you know was there attempt and you know any kind of uh proclivity to do that i can't i don't think so i don't think that happened i think i think on the first album there's like 
one drum fill that was from a different take. Uh, I don't think that ever happened on this one. Um, that's just like not my style of drumming. Like it's like it it all it really needs to be one take with the the what you play is what you play. And you know there's uh, you know a, a lot of deviations from the click track. Uh, I don't like to stay right on top of the click track. Um, so that's yeah, it's just it's, it's I you know sounds like a band in a room again. Uh, and I think that's what I'm always kind of going for. And Jay is Jay's so good too, uh, as a producer, like he has everything sounding so good. He makes you feel really comfortable. It's such a, just like a warm and welcoming environment that, you know, you just, it's easy to lay down takes. And I think the first day I like, we, I set it up where all the parts that I knew I was really confident with, we did the first day. Uh, and sort of knocked all those out. Um, and then on the second day, there was, yeah, it was definitely like just being out of practice. There was definitely, I think, songs that I probably did four or five takes uh, for. Just was like, I kept on, you know, because I was literally playing it for the first time. Oh, so yeah, we, really we would say, oh, okay, now do this eight measures, do this. Like normally I practice a ton. When we went to the studio the first time, I don't think anything took more than two takes at most. Yeah. Um, but this one, like we were literally coming up with parts in the moment, walked from the control room back to the drums and I'm playing it the way that I'm playing it for the first time. And I so there was definitely songs where I was taking five, six attempts uh, to get through a song. That, that sort of, sort of uh, new for me, but it was also, on the other hand, you know, coming up with the parts in the moment um, for most of the record. We actually had one song in the first record, Hearts Called, uh, we actually put that song together in the studio in the moment we had extra time in the studio we had no intention of i don't think actually having that song on the record but it just came together in the studio yeah it came together in the studio um yeah which was wild yeah. to me that you could just that's one of the best ones on the yeah. record I think. Um, yeah. that was wild that that came together you know because we're not like it's not like a big band that's like spending a week in the studio or a month in the studio writing songs is literally a day uh, to, so to actually like write a song and put it together and record it in that day is pretty wild. And on the first record and this record, it was most of it was done that way, at least for the drums. Most of it was, you know, conceived, worked through, opinions were heard. And, you know, and yeah, that was that was a really interesting uh, experience. It was wild that that all came together. And I don't think at any point in that weekend did we ever think we weren't going to get everything done. Like by the first day. First day we knew, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we were like halfway, like, you know, like just getting the drum set up and getting it sounding good takes half a day. And then I think we had half the record done on that first day. So it was pretty obvious we were going to get the second half done the second day. So it wasn't even a big rush. And, you know, I'm old now, like, you know, not sleeping and flying overnight and then recording drums all day. Uh, <laughs> I was really worried about about that. And that ended up uh, working out fine. So um, at the end, you know, we've I guess the main thing is that we focused on what it sounded like, not the difficulties of what parts should I play? How much energy do I have? Do we have time? None of that stuff was a concern. It just came down to like working out exactly what parts we should, you know, we all wanted to hear and what the beat should sound like and, and what's the feeling we have. Uh, and, you know, sometimes there was two different parts that Two different people liked or one person didn't like and then yeah. the, i would say like the only snafu is there's like one song that kind of never yeah like fully came together um and i think that was maybe a product of us not being able to practice 
Mm-hmm. I think maybe sure. like one song didn't, didn't come together. Um, we had more songs than could fit mm-hmm. on an album. Um, but yeah, I would I would mention, yeah, at least there, there was one track that kind of didn't come together the way we wanted it to. Yeah. Now there's something you mentioned earlier too that's it's sticking in my my brain right now about there being a song with no no rhythm or no no kind of uh, meter or something that you had to write drum parts to. Uh, like you give you were given an idea with no uh, no actual tempo or something like that. Earlier on, that was <laughs> that was definitely the a uh, 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 thing. Yeah, I re- would record some riffs that would drift in tempo. And uh, with because I didn't lay down a click, but I think now one thing with Holy Circles taught me, and and I even will do it in Locrian is like we set a click, even if it's just temporary. It's like this is the tempo of the riff, and then that way, like it's kind of like a little bit more embedded. And if it's like, hey, it's too fast or it's too slow, that can be decided by other people as the collaboration improves, you know. And what I asked for, well, when we were like during COVID and we're practicing the stuff in different parts of the country was send me one version with the drum machine that you have in mind. Send okay. me another version with absolutely no percussion, no drum machine or anything. And then one more, again, no percussion, but with a click. So I yeah. could I could hear generally the vibe they were going for, um, but also I could, if I had something completely different in mind, I could lay something completely different down uh, and we would have these sort of different feelings and I think sometimes most of the time I think the vibe of the drums like kind of where they should be how present they should be with the you know as a double time half time uh, I th- for the most part songwriters know best what they want to hear and they're going to get that right most of the time but every once in a while I do think the drummer can say uh, you know it really is going to feel better this way. Um, you know, that's like the main thing I like to do as a drummer is to sort of push and pull the intensity, um, be it through volume or through speed um, and going, you know, breaking it down into halftime and of course, or like tension, tension and release uh, is the, that's the most fun thing you get to do as a drummer is sort of tension and release. And you get to, you get to sort of pick how the songs build uh, and, you know, come up and come down. I know you all have pedals and volume pedals to do that, but I think drummers, Get, get to do that a lot. And that, that's a lot of fun. And I think that's like the main thing where program drums rarely have that. They're usually like pretty static on their intensity. And then, which is sometimes good. It allows the other instruments to, to bring, uh, do the push and pull. Uh, uh, but as a drummer, you know, putting live drums, I think that's kind of the main difference you would notice if you saw us again with live drums uh, is those sort of di- the dynamic range um, from loud to soft. Um, you know, I think is it would be much more versus, you know, kind of having the four on the floor, uh, you know, electronic trucks. Yeah. Do you remember when I said uh, with one of the songs to make it sound like Kate Bush and, and New Order and you were like, those are two different things. <laughs> and I was like, are they though? <laughs> I was, we were not easy. We were not easy for Nathan to, to work. <laughs> with sometimes we did not give him a lot of clear direction no, that's not that's not true at all it. no that's, that's really true. like there was, there was times where i had two totally different ideas for a song uh and terrence erica and rob would say like well no both those ideas would work do this here and do that there and the track i know you're referring to erica uh like there's a track that has one one vibe through most of the track and at the end it changes uh, pretty dramatically 
Uh, and it's because it's like two totally different drum parts I had. And I think it was Erica's idea was like, no, like right here, just like we could use them both. And I hadn't thought of that. Um, and so, you know, again, these are things that would have been worked out in practice. And it's amazing that uh, everybody was like on top of it for that weekend to work those things out in the moment. With the new songs, and, and uh, this question has uh, almost, I would say, like me kind of projecting some of my own experiences with performing music that was written kind of remotely. Um, you know, the last couple of years, like with the stuff that I do, I've pretty much been writing everything in this little room here that I'm sitting in right now. And then basically the band, we record the record and then we learn the songs in the practice space and go out on tour and play them live. So at, during that process, there are little details sometimes that I'm like, oh man, I wish I had done this on the record and playing it a little bit differently now. Yeah. So how do you think that's gonna manifest you know, this new record and when you guys eventually take this thing to the stage? Like, are there things that you think are going to have to be completely rearranged for the live setting versus the record? You know, that kind of thing. Like, what, are, what are your thoughts on that? Well, we played a show recently, uh, just uh, Terrence, Rob, and myself. And um, like right away, I realized as we were practicing for it that um, I was going to have to make some decisions about vocals because I, I, did a, as I usually do, I did a lot of layers um, and loops and I had to, I had to consolidate some ideas, you know, um, to pull it off live. We're not, we're not huge fans of uh, playing like a karaoke track and singing along to it. You know, we like to play everything live and, you know, to our detriment sometimes. Um, but uh, like even our drum machine, when we do play with a drum machine, it's not in a song mode, it's in a chain mode. So I'm like triggering, or Erica triggers the the part, the change, because sometimes we're playing live, we might want to riff, like yeah. uh, we or the audience is into it, and we don't want to end the song where it would end on a record. We want to keep it going because people are dancing or they seem excited. So we have some flexibility, but it also would be much easier <laughs> to not have to press a button. <laughs> yeah, but at the same time, I think that that's, I'm actually really looking forward to that. And and we've talked about this um, as a band that we're looking forward to how these songs are gonna evolve as we play them live. Cause I do think that we, you know, I think that we play really well together live. And I think that we gain a lot from, uh, the audience feedback and we, we are very comfortable with, you know, maybe uh, letting something, you know, a riff go a little longer. I'll like make a really awesome loop, <laughs> vocal loop. And I'm like, I'm gonna, you know, kind of like, like subtly cueing to them that we're gonna like, let this roll a little bit longer. It sounds good. Like, let's go with it. I, I look forward to, to that sort of sweet spot that we hit after we've played the new material a few times and we kind of like get our bearings with it. And, and I just think that there's something so special, but also like really important <laughs> to uh, being a musician about playing live. And it's like a totally different animal than recording. And there's something 
there's just something like about having those opportunities to kind of like find something new or hit on something that you wouldn't have thought of before in that in that moment um that and then you're like oh let's do that again i let's try that what if we took that further what i just think that um that's something i really missed to the point that you know it was it was depressing about you know not being able to play shows that was the thing that was the most upsetting to me because um i really depend on that as a songwriter you know um and we are a band that tends to play play new songs a few times before we decide that they're gonna stay you know and we kind of like try things out and we've 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 there have been songs that we've written and we've never played again you know because we were like we don't like it you know or it's not working or whatever um and i just think that that's really important to the songwriting process in general so I, it's different it'll be different it'll sound different in some ways there i think that we're still able to capture the the aesthetic that we're going for overall but yeah it's a it's a different animal playing these songs live for sure I can't yeah, wait to see you guys play, man. It's gonna be it's gonna be killer. So I hope so. Yeah. Go ahead, Rob. I was just gonna say, I know parts are gonna have to change, like from my perspective. Because stuff that I did in the studio, like, okay, so I don't have a bank system on my pedal board because I'm not super rich. So I'm still tap dancing around. <laughs> and I it's hard to hit off four or five pedals at once. Right. I could yeah. do that in the studio. So like I'd be like, oh, I want all of these effects on for this part and let's record that part. But I have to figure out how to do that live. So I'm already changing how I transition between parts, wishing that we had added different transitions in that aren't there anymore. <laughs> <laughs> because another part of the recording, you know, you overdub and that's great. But when you want to do that live, like if I have to live loop, and I have to have the loop set, and then I switch to a second part on time. I need time to do all those things. And I have another band where I do that, and it's like factored into the song, right? There's an extra two reps here, so I can live loop it, and then I'm ready to play the lead over top of it. Uh, we didn't record them with that in mind at all. <laughs> we recorded the songs for the record. So I know it's going to have to change live, like, and we'll have to figure that out in practice. But and like my pedal board's constantly changing. I don't even think I have the same pedals I used on the record. <laughs> so like, it will sound different. Like there's just, I use different amps now. Like it's just constant gear shift. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's awesome though, man. I, I understand that whole thing with the banks cause I don't, I don't, I'm playing the same way you do actually with just pedals. Mm -hmm. I, I actually have an Axe effects, but I just don't like the way they sound, you know? And yeah. Yeah, and I've looked at those like strips where you can put all your pedals into it and like program this button turns on like these pedals at once. But I don't know, like it's huge. They're expensive. Yeah. They're complicated looking. Um, I don't even know if it would work right. To be perfectly honest, I'd spend all that money. <laughs> yeah. So like it's a lot to spend like 150 bucks on one pedal. Yeah, to totally. spend like 600 bucks on a bank system and all it's doing is just like turning pedals on and off. It's just a lot of money. Oh, I agree. <laughs> That's exactly right. That's what your feet are for. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. So I like I try to situate the pedals so I can hit like maybe three or four at once. Like if I put my feet sideways, 
I've definitely done the the move where you like jump in the air and like land on a couple of pedals at the same time. <laughs> oh, <laughs> that's the, okay. Sometimes there's just no other way to do it, but you know, like I have three fuzz pedals that I use and they're each for different levels of intensity. And then I say, I stack them too. So if I want to go all out, like I get hit all three at once. It sounds weird if you hit them on in sequence, especially in a live setting, like you miss the punch of it all coming in at once. Right. Like that's to me, like one of the best things in a live show is when everything is, is kind of like quiet and then boom, like everything comes in at the exact same moment. It's explosive. And I, I love to recreate that, but you can't do it by just like, <laughs> if you've got to hit everything at the same time. <laughs> I appreciate that though. I mean, I, I always, I like pedals better than all the electronic stuff, the, you know, digital, you know, whatever, Kemper. Back systems and stuff. The and emulator systems. Yeah, just, I mean, all that stuff is great, like software wise, like when you're making demos and stuff, but like live, like I said, I, I, I have one of these Axe Effects model things and mm -hmm. I, I went to practice with it a few times and I was like, man, it just doesn't sound like, doesn't have enough punch or something something's missing yeah it's not as tactile like yeah. like playing guitar is still there's some acoustics to it with your amplifier right like this you're you're playing with the sound the air between you and the speaker uh the distance you're from you're standing from the speaker matters like i get so annoyed with small venues where i have to stand on top of my amp because i have no room to maneuver but like that is important to how your tone is what your how your tone sounds and like those emulations i've never had one that sounds like the real thing like that's why i still like to use actual amps and pedals yeah. and a guitar like there's still like that tactile element is important to how i play guitar so i can't just like go full digital yeah yeah no, i'm with you on that like uh still a quick anecdote regarding digital uh amp emulators the um <laughs> we did uh like a run of dates through the south with a creator a few years ago and uh, oh yeah those guys flew in all their gear was in like a briefcase basically and like oh, the first man. the first um show you know i'm watching them and i'm like there's no amps on stage right these guys are just playing guitars you know what i mean and there's like mm -hmm. monitors in the front and there's cabinets but i don't see any heads right second date i saw like this gigantic like r2d2 looking road case with like all the rack mounted stuff in there and that was what their amps were you know what i mean just they had one guy yeah control the whole thing and mm. like when i when i stood side stage there was like no sound yeah and it was all front of house and monitors and there was no air on stage being moved it was crazy I feel that that's really kind of accepted in metal, like for the guitar players. I mean, like, what's the famous like immortal image where it's like all the amps are hollowed out from behind yeah, the stage oh, yeah. or whatever. Yeah. It's like, it just no. looks like they have giant full stacks. I think yeah. it's much more acceptable to be like, I'm running the guitar direct into the board or something. It's like, why? Like, yeah, no, it was insane. You know? You know? And yeah. I, I imagine, you know, probably less money for renting equipment and you know flights and that kind of stuff too factors in and you have to have a front of house person and you have to have a sound person you have to have all these technicians to kind of make sure that's yeah i don't know yeah. I, it's such a weird it's i find that weird like if you go to a big metal festival like there's bands that that's totally they're just like 
you know, the drummers are all using these triggers with, they're not even like hitting the drums. There's not, they, like, there's, they're saying that there's no air being moved because everything's a trigger, like to make sure it's on, you know, with a click or whatever. It's, it's so strange to me when, I don't think it happens that often, but when I see them, I was like, this is very strange. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, definitely. It's like every now and then I run into something like that. It yeah. kind of blows my mind a little bit. So the new record, what, what's the exact uh, release date? Where can people buy it? You know, that kind of stuff. Sure. Uh, it'll be available November 11th, um, okay. and it'll be through Death Bomb Arc and Anathemata Editions. Uh, we're doing, so it'll be available digitally then. Cassettes are, are in production and vinyl is going to be starting soon. So we're in, we're kind of in that area. So vinyl spring 23 <laughs> at the moment is what it's looking like. Uh, it's such um, a pain, man. The pre-orders are up. I, but I feel like everybody everybody gets it. it. It's just a given now. It's gonna take five or six months or whatever at the moment. Like, um, and you know, cassettes are whatever you know at the moment. They're eight weeks, maybe two months. I don't know, you know. But um, that's the same thing. I, I know. <laughs> <laughs> you know this, uh, this death bomb art <laughs> label. What what other artists are on that? Because I think I. Before you guys were involved with them, I used to get messages from them on Bandcamp. That there are, I'm trying to remember what other artists are on that label. I mean, probably their most famous uh, is associated with like clipping and kind of like Death Grips, clipping, JPEG Mafia, um, They Hate Change, like a lot of like strange rap music that's like yeah. a little bit weird and kind of out there. Um, and then they're doing um, Psychic Graveyard. Uh, that's the um i think that's eric from arab on radar and um and then they're doing uh my heart is an inverted flame that it's it's andy from aquarius records his black metal thing so this it's just all white boy white boy scream yeah, is like scream. uh experimental opera um fielded yeah yeah it's totally like pumpkin witch is like they're Dungeon synth, dungeon synth. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, it's probably the clipping label. It's really eclectic, and uh, there's a lot of risk taking and putting out. They're putting out bands that you know, and that are interesting and doing things in a weird and unique way and taking risks. And I think that's a really cool. Yeah, label we, for us to be associated. We got with. in touch with them through Jonathan and from Clipping. I've been friends with them. They sampled Jonathan Kennedy, uh, his uh, um, uh, Death Pile yeah, yeah. On, on their first Sub Pop release. And Jonathan was like, what do you know about this band Clipping? And that's how I found out about them. Because John Kennedy's an old friend uh, from Dead World and all those other like industrial and noise bands. And I was like, this is brilliant. They're like sampling White House and like, this is before like David becomes, you know, in Hamilton and Blackish and the, the main MC of the band. And I was like, these guys are great. This is really interesting. And, um, and it did feel like kind of like a rebuttal to the death grips in a way. Like it was like this very creative, very noisy, really interesting hip hop. And, and that's how I became friends with Jonathan and clipping and when we were looking for a label for Sick With Love, um, uh, Jonathan suggested Death Bomb. And um, when I was looking at all the weird stuff he put out, 
And Rob actually put out one of his, <laughs> Brian from <laughs> Death Bob's old dad years ago on his, on his label. Gang um, wizard. Gang wizard, that's right. Yeah. Kismet. It was, it was like, and, and it is kind of neat because you're like, uh, well, there was a band he was putting out and the guy in the band was in this, in this emo band called Don Martin Three, which was a really, when I was in Florida, they're from Gainesville and they were like super weird a very abstract like a sidelong track that would just explode into like an emo song and then just be like a drummer and a bass player like jazz riffing for like five minutes it was like really weird and i was like whoa that guy i was like that guy's awesome and uh just this weird collection of weirdos and i was like that i like that <laughs> you know like yeah it's probably from the clipping record that i ended up on their mailing list i think and yeah um, yeah it's, it's pretty cool yeah i was like, then, like oh yeah i know these i know this label yeah yeah yeah. Well, thanks a lot, guys. Um, you know, I'm looking for having us, Mike, as always. Appreciate uh, it. Uh, it's always a pleasure, man, to catch up with you. And it's nice meeting you guys. And um, yeah, you know, I'm looking forward for everyone else to get into the record, man. I'm, I'm enjoying it myself. So thank you. Thank you. you know, I feel um, you know, I feel guilty that I can't share it with anybody just yet. Soon. So. Soon. <laughs> <laughs> We're almost there. Thank you, though. That means so much, Mike. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. All right, guys, uh, enjoy Halloween, the rest of the Halloween season, and uh, we'll see you guys soon. Take see care. See you soon, man. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye. Bye.